Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickthesportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. I'm glad to have you back for another week. Got a very interesting guest for you today, Mr. Stefan Ekuguam. He is a trainer as well as a soccer coach. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. How are you doing today? Hey, doing great, man. I had to give my best stab at getting your name right. You know, I don't want to disrespect the family name by just calling you a part of the name. Hopefully my, my family in Africa aren't watching this, so they'll be trying to call in right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go ahead and say your name for me. So my name is Stefan Ekuguam. Got you. Ekuguam. Got you. All right. So uh, like we said, welcome to the podcast, you know, it's starting to get cold outside, a little dreary, so it must be soccer season. So <laughs> definitely is my least favorite season, man. Yeah. Least yeah. favorite. In the winter, I don't like it. Don't like yeah. it. It's amazing how they pick a sport where you got to run around with shorts and, you know, no sleeves to play it in the middle of the winter. So maybe that's an American thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess they figure we're keeping our bodies warm with all the movement we're doing. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing a little reflecting about, you know, anyone that follows this show knows that I love football and I love basketball, but probably popular American sports, baseball and soccer, you know, I don't have much love for. But I started to do a little, you know, introspection and reflection. And I realized maybe it's because of childhood trauma, because those were the two sports that my parents didn't allow me to play because Ah. my mom said she wasn't going to take up her summer. So. Maybe I'm just harmed by the sport. Maybe that's really what it is. So maybe so. You gotta talk to your parents, man. But you know, you know, I really feel like soccer is a game for all kids. That is the U.S. slogan. You know, it has been for since I was a kid. It's a game for all kids, and I believe that that's the case because it's such a character-building tool that you can use in the younger ages. Obviously, you have a team of eleven people on the pitch, but then you have maybe eighteen on the roster. So um, there's, a, there's a bit of selflessness that goes into it, but as well yeah. as learning to be, be selfish and, and be independent and responsible, work in a unit, work in a team, and be a part of a, a big engine. So I think it's, a, from my experience, it, it's been a great tool for kids, even if they don't play it through high school. It's just been a great tool to help build that confidence and build a complex of knowing that you can interchange responsibilities you know, throughout your life, whether it be soccer, football, basketball, or simply your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to get into the role that soccer has played in your life, you know, as a kid and actually progressing through. Uh, But we already mentioned Nigerian roots. So tell us about, you know, your family roots. So my father was is from West Africa, from Nigeria, um, the capital city of Lagos. He was actually born in Ghana. Interesting enough, uh, that was wartime doing when he was my grandmother was pregnant. So they left Nigeria and went to Ghana. Uh, where my dad was born, and then after uh, the hostility and the brutality had calmed down, they moved back to Nigeria. 
So my father spent his childhood there in, in the villages as well as in the city where he attended boarding schools. And then when he got about 16, 17, he started applying to universities in America. And that's how he got here. He landed in Texas first and spent some time at UT and moved around to Grambling University, got a degree there as well, and then finished off at Jackson State where he got one of his master's in economics. So um, he came there and met my mom, actually, who was also doing her master's in, um, in sociology. Crazy thing was, you know, my father is a firstborn. So in our family, the firstborn, in most cases, in a lot of cases, has an arranged marriage. And, and that could be from a neighboring family of the same, sometimes tribe. Sometimes right. it could be of the same status or what may have you. But uh, he met my mom, and I don't know what juju she put on him, <laughs> but uh, he called home and, and, and you know told my grandfather and my grandmother that he's, he's going to stay here, and he found a lovely woman, and he would like to marry her and continue to um, build a career here and further his education. So I was actually born here in America. Uh, we've been back to Nigeria to visit family, obviously, and it is every single time I go, I feel like it's the best experience ever. I feel like... I come back a brand new person. Um, my just the way I look at the world, you know, from there to here is just a huge difference in the way socially people carry themselves, and even secularly in the job place and in the cities, things are just different. So when I come here, I really feel a lot more humble, definitely a lot more composed in the way I go about uh, my everyday life, especially with my career in coaching and what have you. So being here in America, but growing up in a home that was culturally, you know, had a huge emphasis on, you know, the Nigerian culture, there were, you know, differences and things that were hard to understand. But ultimately, I believe, like I was telling Lil D, it kept me disciplined and it kept me thinking uh, with a brighter and, and larger horizon, um, even at an early age, going through middle school, going through high school, in public schools where you see a lot of different things. Thankfully, those things, to me, I can compose myself around and understand, you know, why certain things were happening where I grew up. You know, my father played soccer back in Nigeria. He played with the national circuit. Uh, when he came to America, he ended up playing as well at UT and at Grambling. So when I was born, as soon as I got four years old, he took me out to the soccer fields. And, you know, I don't know if this man is a genius or not, but he took me out there one time. And my dad's only given me one soccer session ever. But I pulled from that soccer session for the rest of my life. There's still ways that I strike the ball now that I teach my players to strike the ball. That I envision himself putting his foot against the ball when I was five years old and showing me that. So usually players start playing soccer about five. The lowest age group right now typically is about U6. And the U stands for under. So yeah. – Four or five years old, depending on where your birthday falls, um, you can get into that team. And that's where I was. I really, really, I mean, for me, honestly, I think being the middle child, I was always looking for, like, what do I grab onto? You know, what is mine? So when soccer came along, it was mine. I put my all into it. And growing up as a kid, to be fair with you, I was always very athletic, I was extremely athletic. But as I moved forward, I started to see that, where I may be more athletic than some of my opponents, the skill set is something that I was lacking. You know, the fundamentals, that was very important as I was growing up. So I started to put a lot of emphasis on my fundamentals. I never once got a personal training session. 
and I do a lot of them now, and they are yeah. quite important. Um, but that's unheard of day, now, though. <laughs> yeah, in my day, it just wasn't available. It, right. it just wasn't available, so you had to get in the backyard against a brick wall and get your touches going. So I did that throughout my childhood. At age eleven, I made my first travel team, and it was—I mean, I was over the moon. I was buzzing. So yeah. did that and and learned how to communicate with players that are different from me because through travel teams, you can get on all-star teams where you're playing with kids from other states. So you're having to learn how to communicate different messages to kids who aren't necessarily from your neighborhood, to kids who aren't necessarily from your economic background, you know? So you're learning all these things and learning all these characters and not to mention, you know, obviously soccer is an international sport. So you're learning all these different people that come from around the world so for me, that was such a big moment in my life, 15, 16, to say that, okay, you know, I really want to do something with this sport. You know, I yeah. really want to do something. So as I started to research. Let um, me cut you off there. Let me cut you off there yeah. because you mentioned that you played with your dad one time. You know, he took one you time. and gave you one formal lesson. Why do you feel like that was so influential on you? Was it because that you already knew, you know, he was a great soccer player or was it what do you think from that lesson just kind of made a, a permanent imprint on you? You know, if I'm completely honest with you, I think anybody could have given me that lesson and I'd have reciprocated it just as I had. But the fact that it was my father and to yeah. get a bit more personal, an African father, Nigerian father. So the mm-hmm. instruction that he was giving me, I wouldn't say it was boisterous or aggressive, <laughs> but he got his point across. You know what right. I mean? So. Yeah. You know, for me, growing up, and after that lesson, I just flourished. I only went up, you know. So I believe he knew I had something in me. And, you know, for him to take out of his day, my dad was very busy. You know, we was a family of seven. Um, although him and my mom had very good careers, but, you know, we had, they had to work. So yeah. for him to take that time away to spend with me, and, and meaning that he believed that I could do something with that. So for me, it was, you know, almost like, paying him back for the rest of my life. Every time I stepped on the field, my dad's also a pastor. So sometimes on Sundays, he wouldn't be able to attend my game. So when he wasn't there, every time I stepped on the field, I felt, well, let me represent him. Let me pay him back, you know, for what he instilled in me. And let me play to the best of my ability to hopefully one day, you know, be where he was when he stopped playing soccer, you know. So I think the personality for me is what kept me grounded on it. Yeah. So you were talking about when you were in a teenager and the high school year. So pick up there. Uh, were you starting to get looks at that point or, you know, Definitely. Were you late I, I was I was playing soccer. I went to Jim Hill High School where they have the international baccalaureate program where I attended. It's an academic program that allows you to further your education earlier than graduating. So perhaps taking college courses earlier than typically. So in that area, you don't have a lot of soccer players. A lot of the schools where I'm from, the soccer team is basically meant to keep the football team, you know, prepared in all season. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of football players and players that didn't know soccer very well. So in that league, I was flourishing. I mean, I was top player of the week every single week, even as a freshman all the way up to a senior. But, you know, I noticed that, you know, my dreams of playing at a Division One college perhaps wasn't going to be fulfilled in that setting. So at the travel game, I looked to play what we call Olympic development, ODP program, Olympic development program that is geared toward 
shuttling talent towards the Olympic team ultimately and further on into the national team, hopefully a World Cup. So when I got into that system, I was lucky enough to make the regional team, which encompasses 16 states of the southeastern region. And then I was lucky enough to get on the national pool and get called up for a camp. And that camp, I believe, was my best opportunity to spread my name. Because when I got back from that camp and I would go to showcases and college coaches would see that on my resume, I would get letters within a day. You know, wow. so I think, you know, for me, the ODP program really, really helped me. Whereas not as influential now, but there are other leagues just like the ODP program that really helped push my talent out there and got me exposed to some of these higher level coaches. And name some of the players that you were playing with in the ODP circuit. Oh, man, I played with Josh Maraltador, Jeremy Hall, Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu was the youngest player in history for the MLS, also the youngest yeah. player to score a goal in history for the MLS. Um, he was playing with us. We were 17. He was 14, and he was much better than all of us <laughs> and, much, and much bigger than all yeah. of us. So, yeah. you know, I really, at that age, it really kind of showed me, man, I – you know, I'm here. I can function at this level. You know, the world is open for me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So went on to be able to play collegiate, you know, collegiate Correct. Uh, I, soccer. So tell us about that. So I played in a showcase in at the Disney complex, the yeah. world famous complex. Yeah. And Wild World Sports. Yeah. Wild World Sports. There was a coach from University of Central Arkansas. And I'm playing in the game. And we're playing a team from L.A., and there's a coach sitting in the middle of the two benches with a purple hat on. And I'm like, usually coaches don't sit there to kind of sit where you don't know. He's just sitting there taking notes. So good game, very, very competitive game. After the game, it's quite late at night, about 930. We're all kind of shaking hands, about to get ready to go get showers and things like that. And my coach approaches me and another one of my teammates, actually, and he says, hey, you know, University of Central Arkansas coach, Chad Flanders, would love for you guys to come up for a visit. So that was great. Two weeks later, I was in Conway, Arkansas for a visit, and I loved it. The facilities, the people there, the conference they were playing in. But for me, more importantly, what they expected of me was what really brought me in. They expected me to play at a high level, be disciplined, um, be independent, and be responsible for myself. And that's what I was looking for out of a program. So going there was a – huge stepping stone for me yeah yeah so you played all four years during college or i played all three there i played three years at central arkansas and then i went to mississippi college funny thing enough my childhood coach who was actually the coach at mississippi college was in the process of bringing a lot of the players they had previously coached back to mississippi college and he gave me a call i was up there at central arkansas i actually just recently gotten off an injury and he's like hey you know I know you just had this injury, you know, putting your team back together. Won't you come back down? Um, it, it only took one call. When he named the names of the boys I was going to be able to play with again, I had to come back down and got back down, won two conference championships, went to the Final Four. Really, really great experience there. And Mississippi College was a great, a great experience for me because I was coming from a deep Division One school, huge campus, you know, huge amount of students to a smaller private university. But – um, the inclusiveness that came with that really helped me build some, you know, extremely vital relationships going forward. Yeah. So you mentioned the injury, you know, you, this time out with the sports doctor, so you can't just breeze yes, past that. So what injury did you have? 
So I actually had an MCL sprain is what they diagnosed mm -hmm. me with. And what happened was there was a free kick. We were practicing free kicks. This happened at practice. And we were practicing where I was on the attacking team. And I would line up with the defensive wall. And once the ball is played, I would pin out around the wall. The ball would be chipped over the wall to me to where I have a free open shot. So the ball was chipped, but it was chipped a bit far. As a freshman, you know, you're coming in. I'm like, I'm getting that ball no matter <laughs> what. <laughs> so the keeper was actually coming out at the same time, the goalie. And I jumped for the ball. My eyes were on the ball. His eyes were on the ball. But we hit each other. My He thought he was catching the ball, but he caught my ankle. So he was trying to grab the ball and bring it mm. away. He grabbed my ankle and twisted my ankle outward. to it. Like, yeah. So it caused my MCL to, you know, kind of push in and inverse. So it sprained it. It was the first injury I'd ever had in my entire life, believe it or not. Um, it set me down for about a month because coming back in, they really wanted me to be extremely up to par before coming back into the lineup. So for me, that was that was a hard time. It really was. It was a lot of calls back home for encouraging words. But um, I got through that. I got through that. And after that, I really never – suffered another injury that I could I could recall of any volume you know yeah so you mentioned injuries in soccer definitely with female athletes we see a lot of knee injuries um, right ACL tears meniscal tears not as prominent with male um, athletes however injuries in soccer are a big deal so yeah. what do you do now as a coach to try to prevent injuries in your players and what kind of training or special things do you do? You mentioned your training background as well, kind of injury prevention wise. Well, fitness is, is the priority. You know, like I was telling, like I was saying, fitness and rest are very, yeah. very important. Um, a lot of these injuries we're seeing is literally off the stress on the ligament or on the muscle. So obviously we want to push our players to reach their optimal, but the recovery side is extremely important to me. I make my players do a cool down, cool your body down, cool your muscles down. You let your ligaments and your tendons become untensioned, you know, before you're getting in the car and driving and going to your next destination. From a training standpoint, strength and conditioning is very, very important for soccer. Soccer entails a lot of explosive movements, a lot of cutting and changing directions with a lot of torque and a lot of fast action. So it's very important that we strengthen these ligaments and strengthen these tendons and muscles because if not, then they're just going to get torn, as you often see. So what I would often do is agility workouts with resistant bands, I think are very, very important. I think they're easy on the muscles, easy on the ligaments, but also in addition to that, balancing exercises. Those things, especially for your ankle, knee, and hip joints, those are very, very important because like I said, when you are changing direction and you are cutting, you are on one foot. So having that extremity be stable at all times is very, very important. So all those things are very important before we get the session going. And then post-session, we can tell you they even do an even longer cool down to make sure that their bodies are recovering properly. Recovery is a huge step in this. It's a big step. Getting home, icing properly, massaging properly, and letting your feet sit up and letting these active acid come out of your body is very, very important for your recovery for the next training session like oftentimes in a college game, that session could be in five hours and you yeah. have to get the recovery that's needed. Yeah. Now, soccer is one of the sports where we see early sport specialization, right? Soccer, baseball, kind of American sports that are really 
where you'll see some kids playing year round. So, you know, you have an athlete or parent who's, you know, they see the competitor, they see their neighbor, they're going to all these different camps and doing different things. What's your message to the parents or to the athlete about quantity versus quality? Uh, because many times, as we said, the amount of exposures correlates with injury. So how do you counsel your, your players and your team on that? If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. In my case, I coach a lot of older players, and, and I assume that's kind of what you're referring to because these players want to play at higher levels into college and into academy programs. So for my players, I, I explained to them, you know, this game is growing a lot. And the good and great and bad thing about soccer is that it's an international sport. So you're not competing with what you see around you. You're competing with perhaps a player that lives in Moscow who right. is maybe three years younger than you. So – for my players, I think it's very, very important that they focus in on what they want. You know, I would tell parents to decide with your son or with your daughter what it is that you want to get out of soccer. Is the professional game your goal? That's not for everyone. Is college soccer your goal? That's not for everyone. Is simply high school your goal? That's not for everyone. If the professional game is your goal, then if your child is showing that he wants or she wants to put that effort in, I am a full advocate for allowing them to have as much exposure as possible at the correct time. A lot of parents these days and a lot of these clubs and leagues and academies are pushing players to expose themselves at such an early age because it is lucrative for those academies and, and for those companies. But for me, from a scouting standpoint, perhaps a scout isn't you know particularly looking at a player until he's 16, 17, 18. Perhaps if he's really good, 15. So prior to those years in the early years, 13, 14, you know, 12, 11, I think the big focus is to figure out the quality of training is very, very important. That is what you want to seek out. You want to seek out, number one, a coach that your child can respond to, a coach that your child is coachable by. That is very important because you can have the best coach in the world, but if he, your child's not responding to that coach, then your child's not going to reap the benefits of his talents. So I think number one is finding a coach that your child is comfortable with, but also has a, a good bit of respect for that can be pushed by that coach. I think number two would be as a family, focus in on how your child learns. I think that is very important. How your child receives information. Okay. And how your child, how I say conveys information out, you know, so for myself and my players, it's very important I speak to my players individually because they're all different personalities. So I have to bring the best out of each and every last one of them, but that all takes a unique avenue or unique way of communicating to them. So again, number one is to seek out that coach that vibes with your player, that is has that correlation with your son or daughter. And then number two, making sure that your child can understand the communication that you're going through. And then lastly, number three, and this is a lot of times very hard for parents to do, especially parents that play soccer, is to, you know, compartmentalize how hard you push your child 
And when do you back up and be a parent? Because I, I hear from training, a lot of parents come to me for training because they feel like, well, he's not going to listen to me, even though I'm his dad. I play Division One soccer. He'll listen to you because you know you a coach. You're a coach. So I think that's a very, very you know good tool for parents to use to have that happy medium of how hard do I push my son or my daughter, or when do I take a seat back and allow my son to grow and and, and also fail. You know, I tell parents a lot: the child doesn't make it to the next level. It's the parent. It's the environment that you build around them. It's hard work. Um, it's tough. It's strenuous. But if you build an environment around your child where he is constantly or she is constantly involved and surrounded by a high level of play and a high level of mentality, then your child has no choice but to assimilate. You know, so I think those three are very, very important things. Yeah, no, I like that. And, you know, like you mentioned, the message of does the child how much do they want to be the athlete or is it the parent that wants them to be the athlete because many times you'll see like you said four years old and by the time they're 16 or 17 when they're really getting into the thick of things they're completely burned out on the sport you know you invested all this time and energy and money you know and then the child's like "Mm, i'm good you know they might even have the ability to play at the next level and they've already just worn themselves out so Uh, I think those are all great tips for parents and athletes to take. I'm in an area now where it's on a rise that these younger teams are traveling all over our country, sometimes all over the world. And I mean, they're training four and five times a week. They're away. They're out of state every single weekend. And it all sounds great. It sounds wonderful. You're like, Oh, they're definitely going to make it. But that's, we have to remember that they are youth. They are children, their emotions aren't the same as ours. They're not as sound as ours may be. So it's very likely that a child, I see it all the time, a child can be burnt out by 11th, 12th grade. I know my senior class, the team I was on, out of the 18 of us, 16 of us had D1 offers. Two of us took them. And Uh, the conversation around that was, man, I'm tired. I want to go enjoy college. I don't want to train every day. And that Mm -hmm. just goes from us playing travel soccer since we were six years old. So, you know, I, I try to tell parents, you know, it doesn't really get live or die until they are 13, 14. And it's only if they've shown you the prerequisite that they are completely bought into this game. Right. No, I like that for sure. If not, they just continue in the rec team or play a little high school soccer and yeah. then hang it up. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Yeah, we are, we're all yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about the hardware in the back. Is that something that you've won on your own or is that your team or what's that? Oh, yeah. So this is one of my teams back here. This is my 08 team. We go by birth year. So these boys okay. were born in, in 08. Um, these are some of the bigger cups that I've won. Uh, the Coastal Academy Cup is down in Florida, in Foley, Alabama. This is this year, actually, the U16 State Cup. And this is the BRSC United Cup. That's in Baton Rouge. It's always a high-level tournament. These are some of the tournaments that I take pride in winning that I won as a child and I I felt a lot of pride in my team and myself. And I see that in my boys now and in my girls now that I coach and I explain to them, we go to these competitions because it does kind of expose you to a high level of play. But not only that, I want them to have that confidence and I want them to be able to look in the mirror and say, Hey, I I did this because in five years you may not be playing soccer. But you, what you will always have is these memories. You'll always have these memories of your friends and winning things, winning things together. So 
for me, I'm not, you know, huge on, if I'm frank with you, you know, I, I have some teams that perform really well and, and winning is, is never scarce. But these are three three competitions that, that I emphasize with my teams that shows growth if we win them, you know, throughout the years. So I'm always trying to kind of show those. This is a plaque from the first team I ever coached. They were born in 2009, and they're big boys now. But really, really put my all into that group. And, you know, till this day, they, they really hold a special place in my heart. These kids, yeah, I'm a coach, but – I think soccer is such an emotional game and it's such a culture game that you have to buy into these kids' lives. Um, and I do that as much as I can. So when I see them elevate and then I see them leave high school and go play in college and then come back and tell me, Coach, man, you're right. I'm glad I stuck with it because even though I'm not playing anymore, it's such a huge part of my life now. So it's it's, yeah. it's very rewarding in that case. Yeah. You know, so on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final time out. So I know that you – appreciate the game of soccer and you use the game of soccer to not only make athletes, but to mold these young men and women into future leaders in society. Um, so talk to us about, you know, how you utilize the game of soccer to teach about important tools in life. And, you know, tell us about what your athletes are doing now as far as college is concerned. It's very important. You know, the, the priority is to teach these kids how to kick a ball, but, you know, from an individual standpoint, my priority, because I know it's a very small percent that will be able to make a living out of this, my priority is to, you know, push them in an area to use the game to better their lives, whether it's overcoming not being able to start a position, how does that pertain to your life and how you can perhaps walk into a corporate office and overcome a sales meeting that you may have. I know in my case, working in orthopedic technologies, with Arthrex, you know, one of the biggest orthopedic companies in the world, I often have to up my game and overcome, you know, different scenarios so that I can be successful in the OR with the surgeon so that this patient, who is the priority, can be back on the field as quickly as possible. So it's things like team building, you know, being able to work within a team, not just on a soccer field. That's why I take my boys, like, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go Christmas shopping. I'm going to send them out Christmas shop for the little kids who don't have much, but this is a team effort. And so when it all comes back in, it needs to fit like a puzzle piece. So I think things like that, showing respect to each other, being able to criticize each other, but in a respectful way. And more importantly, yeah. being able to receive criticism without offense, because it's going to happen for the rest of your life. And how yeah. do you reciprocate? What's the turnover from that criticism? How do you go home and self-assess so that you can be more productive the next time out. Having self-awareness, knowing your weaknesses on the soccer field, knowing your strengths on the soccer field is the same in the secular world, in the professional world. When you get a job and you're starting on that job, you got that job because you had some strengths. But right. I'm sure once you started, you saw, well, I'm lacking in these areas. Okay, so take that criticism and kind of overcome and kind of improve on those areas. And if you had done that at an early age, if you've been in situations where you weren't where you wanted to be and you had to go and put the work in so that you can get to where you would like to be, it just makes that venture uh, a lot more easier when you get older. A lot of my players now are playing in community college settings. Thankfully enough, last year was my first year to graduate a class. I had those kids since they started playing soccer and they graduated last year. We had five go off to community colleges here in the state. And then this year, 
I have eight out of my nine seniors already signed. Hopefully, the other one will sign, if not tomorrow night, hopefully by Friday, he'll be signed. It's just a huge success for me because I was in their shoes out there struggling, emailing coaches, trying to find my way. So to see them now in college settings and just to see that winning face that, man, I overcame and now I'm here is such rewarding for a coach. Um, I think it'd be rewarding for for anyone, you know, for me and, and my profession, you know, being with sports and working in the sports area with Arthrex, I'm often, you know, talking to patients before they go to surgery and they're a little concerned about, you know, what's going to happen after this surgery? Am I going to be able to play again and things like that? And that just goes back to talking about the discipline and how that you recover. How do you maintain discipline throughout therapy? You know, I think the biggest word that you can use when it comes to sports, well, the two biggest will be self-awareness and discipline, self-awareness and discipline. If you have those two, then I truly believe that you can almost do anything. Don't get me wrong. To play in the pros, there's a genetic gene pool right. lottery that, go- that comes with that. Yeah, but yeah. you can help yourself out on the front end. Yeah, no, I like that. Great pearls for sure. So tell people how they can uh, follow what you're doing or join your team, get coaching. Where can they sure, find you? Sure, sure. You can follow us on Facebook, at International Football Club of, of Mississippi, or on Instagram, the same, International Football Club of Mississippi. We are a private club in Brandon, Mississippi, in the Reservoir area. And we are we have teams that you can play select where you travel, you know, and, and play at a high level. But we also offer teams that are focused on development. Um, and then we offer teams that are more so focused on the recreational side. Um, you can follow my actual profile is Stefan Ekuguam. Uh, it's on Facebook. And you can follow that. But... I think going to International Football Club, you'll see everything that I put out. You are welcome to come and try out for any of the teams. I really, really encourage you to reach out to me if you're interested in playing soccer. does not matter the age. I don't care if you're 18. If you love the game and you think you like it, you reach out to me and we'll find a way to get you on a team so that you can enjoy this game. The biggest thing for me and my club is, you know, no child left behind. I think we, you know, soccer is such a big sport. You have children who want to play from all economic backgrounds. And we want to make sure that we are making this available for everyone because soccer is such a a beautiful sport, such a beautiful sport. It is the world sport. Maybe it is the real football after all. It is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. And uh, keep doing the work that you're doing. Thank you, doggy. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Have a good one. All right. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.